be here. I am so glad to be here. Um, it is just a, 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 an honor to be with you guys here today. I'm glad that the wedding was not an afternoon wedding or, or I would have had to rethink this whole thing here. But um, we have been talking in the chapter, we have been talking about we agnostics. And we agnostics is the only chapter that is dedicated wholly to step two. Step two came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And one of the things that I like to do before we get rolling, and when we do get rolling, by the way, we're going to get rolling on page 54. We found two that we had been worshipers. We found two, but we're not going to get there just yet. We're going to just take a second here to sort of build up to our chapter to build up to what we're doing. And we agnostics. First question that comes to mind for many is, what is an agnostic? An atheist is someone who does not believe in a religious deity. They do not believe in this uh, power in the sky, this, this religious deity that many of us picture with the long gray beard and the staff and, and the robes and things like that. Uh, sort of looks like a cross between maybe Santa Claus and uh, Yoda and uh, one of the Jedi, something like that. They do not believe in that at all. And then there's the believers who are people who do believe that there is a religious deity in the sky. And then there's the agnostic. And many times agnostics get confused for atheists. We, they are two completely different people. An atheist is someone who based on the information that was presented to them have discarded this idea of a religious deity completely. And agnostic, ag means without, and gnostic means knowledge is someone who's just not quite sure. They don't know enough yet. And what we see in OA and AA, we see it in any 12-step program that you could possibly imagine. We see people who have a general belief in a power greater than themselves, but they have dangerous pockets of agnosticism. Now, what does that mean when we have pockets of agnosticism? What it means is, we have a sense that there is a God. And this is where I was for a very long time without really knowing it, without really having a nomenclature to attach to it. This is where I was for many, many decades of my life. I had a sense that God created the earth and he created the sun and the stars and he created Lake Michigan and he created so many things like puppies and kitties and things like that but I did not really believe that God would or could intervene between me and a Reese's peanut butter cup. And when I came into program, I believed for a very long time, as many do, that the most important thing in my life without exception was abstinence. And abstinence is extremely important. It's vitally important for my survival, because without abstinence, I have no key in the door. But abstinence alone is not the most important thing in my life. And it is not the most important thing even in my program. Because what I found is that food was never the problem. 
that food was the solution to the problem. So if food is the solution to the problem, what's the problem? The problem is the buildup of everyday normal human emotion. And when I'm in fear, boredom, guilt, shame, remorse, anger, happiness, food becomes my salvation. It becomes my, my crutch. It becomes the, the way that I cope with these things. It becomes my 911 call. I need food. I want food. I'm hungry. These are all lies I tell myself. The reality of the situation is I'm feeling bad and my brain locks in on that sense of ease and comfort that comes so easily by eating some food like sugar or fat or fried or whatever, flour, things like that. Now for different people, those things may be different. But for me, these are the things that really, really triggered me and would create the um, effect that Dr. Silkworth talks about. What is that effect? It's a sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating the food. And it comes instantly and it gives me a sense of ease and comfort. And I will pursue that effect to the gates of insanity or death, as Dr. As Dr. Silkworth tells me in the doctor's opinion. But any uh, description of this that leaves out the physical factor is incomplete. What else do those things do? What else do those ingredients or foods do? They trigger the physical allergy. So it makes it impossible for me to stop eating those things once I've started. And if I can't eat them because it'll trigger the allergy and I can't keep from eating them because of the unnatural way that my brain focuses in on the comfort that comes from them. I am by definition powerless over food and my life has become unmanageable. And I do not know how to live without these commodities. And so it becomes a challenge. What do I do now? You see, in, in, the, in the life that I've been leading, abstinence is so painful without the steps. Abstinence is so painful that I cannot stand to be abstinent for very long. And yes, I've stuck to diets here and there. And I've had periods of, of abstinence where I'd lost a lot of weight. But I always returned to the disease because my brain locks in on the sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating those foods. And also on page 45 of the big book, in this chapter, the chapter We Agnostics, the big book tells me on page 45, well, that's exactly what this book is about. Now, the next sentence, beginning with its, this is the thesis line of the big book. It says its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. It does not say the main object of this book is to help you find sobriety. That's a byproduct. It does not say that the main object of this book is to help me lose weight. That's a byproduct. What the main object of this book is to help me find is a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. And in the second step, it says, came to believe. So I am going to work at this as a process throughout the course of my life. 
throughout the course of my life, I must remain abstinent because if I'm not abstinent, well, that's a very bad sentence. If I'm eating, if I'm not abstinent, I don't like the way that sentence sounds. But if I'm eating, what I don't always realize is I'm altered, I'm drunk, I'm high, but I'm altered in the sense that once that food goes inside of me, you could be talking to me about anything you want to talk to me about, and I am not listening to you. I don't hear you. All I hear once I start eating Chips Ahoy, once I start eating Captain Crunch, whatever it is I'm eating, or a Carl's hot dog from the south side of Chicago, for Deborah's sake. But all I'm thinking about at that moment is how am I going to get more food? How am I going to get more of these French fries, these whatever it is? Because I am now in that mode of the disease. And it seems to me that I'm normal, but I'm really, really not normal. Uh, it says our alcoholic life seems the only normal one to us. What we're doing, I paraphrase to us, what we're doing seems normal and natural. It doesn't, it's not normal and it's not natural. So I must be and maintain an abstinence in order to connect with my higher power, because when I'm altered, I cannot connect with that higher power. I just can't. And how I define that higher power has changed over the years. I've said many times, my first higher power was actually Lake Michigan. My first effective higher power was the beautiful Lake Michigan. And Lake Michigan, if, you, if you've never seen it, it's like an inland sea. And you think, well, it's a lake, so you can swim across it, or you can boat across it in a day, or maybe your friend Fred would be standing on the other side. You go, hey, Fred. No, it's 319 miles long and 119 miles wide. You cannot even see across it because of the curvature of the earth. And it's a very mighty body of water. And it covers several states, Wisconsin and Illinois and Indiana and Michigan. And it's huge, but it became my first higher power. And then my higher power definition morphed into something else. But there's no one that can tell you what your higher power should be, must be, or could be. The only thing we tell you is it is of your choosing. Your higher power, your religion, your beliefs, your thoughts, these are yours and yours alone to have in your way, your own way. This is what we have here. But we came to believe means that I work at it constantly. The only step I have to work perfectly is step one, because I must remain free of the food. And the only way for me to do that is to put it down. And the only way for me to remain free of the food is to work the steps. Because what will happen eventually is, as I work through the steps, I will have a spiritual awakening and my brain will already feel better and my brain will not see the need to catapult me into the arms of a hot dog or french fries or cookies or what have you, ice cream. It will not see the need to do that because I will already feel better. 
Now, let's go to page 54. And we're going to begin at the top of 54, not the very top, but the first full paragraph. We're going to begin with the paragraph we found two that we had been worshipers. We found two that we had been worshipers. Now I'm going to stop right there. I would be willing to make a wager. I don't know how many people are here. I can usually tell. I have no idea. I don't know if there's eight or 80. I have no idea if there's 190. I have no clue because I'm on my phone and not on my computer. I can't see how many participants there are. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a wager, and I'm not a betting man, that even though there are many of you who have struggled with this idea of a higher power, there are very, very few of you that struggle with the idea, keeping in mind that the sentence is that we had been worshipers. I bet that there are very few of you that have not believed that if I had a lot more money, everything would be fantastic. If I just had the perfect spouse, everything would be fantastic. If I just had the perfect whatever, fill in the blank, the perfect home, the perfect car, the perfect whatever it is that you have in your mind. So as long as we hold on to those ideas, we are indeed worshipers. But let's hit a little closer to home. Maybe you're not of the romantic belief that if you had this perfection that you'd live in utopia. Maybe your needs, wants, and desires are a little different. How many of you have not believed that if you were thinner or you didn't have this eating disorder, everything would be great? Because we are taught as children, whether you're a boy, whether you're a girl, black, white, Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, whatever it is you are, tall or short. You are told from the time you are a child, if you're anything like me, lose weight and everything will be okay. Lose weight and everything will be fantastic. And I lost weight. But abstinence does not treat this disease. Abstinence alone does not treat this disease. I'm going to say it two more times. Abstinence alone does not treat this disease. Abstinence alone does not treat the disease. And that's a very hard concept for many of us to let go of. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He remained bone dry after deciding to become successful in business for 25 years. 25 years, this guy didn't take a drink. You would think, that it would qualify him to drink like other men, but it did not. Out came his carpet slippers in a bottle and he was dead within four years. The only thing that treats the disease of compulsive overeating is a spiritual awakening or spiritual experience. I'm gonna say that again. The only thing that treats this disease is a spiritual awakening or a spiritual uh, 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 experience. The last sentence of chapter three, the last sentence of chapter three, let's go back and just kind of review it. You don't have to let go of the page we're on, but the very last sentence is, his defense must come from a higher power. You and earthly things cannot control this disease. 
Money will not make this disease go away. Fred was a partner in a well-known accounting firm. He was very successful, yet he was alcoholic. The man of 30 in chapter three, any remedy that money could buy was at his disposal, yet he got drunk again and died. Being whatever you are as a human being does not, will not, cannot, should not treat this disease. So many of us have been worshipers, but we're often reluctant to put our faith in a power greater than ourselves because we blame God for someone's death. We blame God for worldly conditions. We blame God because we didn't get our wish list met. We blame God for a lot of things that he has nothing to do with. People have free will too. God doesn't tell anybody to go in and rob a store. God doesn't tell anybody to hurt children. God doesn't tell anybody to hurt their spouse. God doesn't tell people to make war. He doesn't say that, but he cried right with us. He cried right, right with us. And whatever your belief or whatever your religion, you have to understand that in this world, there is God's will, but there is also human will because God didn't put a bunch of robots on this earth. God put a bunch of people on this earth. And with each person, there is a free will. There is a free will. So people have done terrible things to themselves and others and one another. God cried too. God was crying too. When you lost your mom or you lost your dad or you lost somebody that was very dear to you, maybe God forbid a child, maybe a, a grandparent or, or someone close to you, a friend. He was crying right there with you. And there are many, many things that we cannot understand about the world that we live in. See, if God was small enough for me to understand, he would not be large enough to solve my problem. So there is going to be warehouses full of material that I will never understand. If God was small enough for me to understand, he would not be big enough to solve my problem. Because I have to have a God that is larger and more powerful than the hurricane force of my eating disorder. My eating disorder roared into my life, ransacked my mother, ransacked my father, ransacked my friends and devastated me and gave me humiliation and pain and loneliness beyond description. This disease, when I was a little boy, a little innocent boy, four years old, five years old, six years old, seven, whatever I was, it took me to the woodshed and it gave me a beating and it continued to beat on me and no matter how much I pleaded with it and begged it to stop, 
the beatings got worse and worse. And when I thought that they couldn't get any worse, they got worse and worse. It was beyond my wildest nightmare. The loneliness, the self-hatred, the fear of people, the being made an object of ridicule, the asexual existence, the things that this disease did to my physical body and my mind. I don't know that I will ever be able to completely recover from them if I live to be 5,000 years old. I work at it every day, but I don't know that I will ever completely recover. And this disease devastated you and the people around you. How do I know that? If it didn't, you wouldn't be here right now, now would you? You'd be out doing something fun. You'd be out doing something more recreational than just sitting here listening to me. And so I need a power greater than myself, but I need a power greater than the force of the disease. And if I'm going to choose a power greater than myself and greater than this disease, I'm not going to understand everything that's happening. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to know. And that's something I just have to live with. I don't have to understand everything before I believe in it. I don't have to understand everything before I believe in it. Every single day that I'm in Scottsdale, I walk, not every single day, six days a week, excuse me, six days a week, I walk three miles a day. It takes me about 90 minutes. I'm 68 years old. It takes me about 90 minutes. You know what? I'm fine with that. And I don't understand the physiology of exercise. If someone were to give me a test on the science of exercise, I would flunk. I'd flunk. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a physical therapist. I'm none of those things. I would flunk the test. But I still go out there and do it because I believe that the exercise is doing me a lot of good. I believe that the exercise is helping to keep me alive and help me walk. When you travel, as I've done over the last few days, I came to Nashville, there's a lot of walking involved in airports, in flying, in, in whatever it is you do. There's a lot of walking involved in these things. I was able to do it and I didn't have to rest and I didn't get out of breath I was able to do it because of the effort I put in. You know what they say, sweat in peace, bleed less in war. Sweat in peace, bleed less in war. You've got to do the footwork to prepare the body for the demands of life. Do I understand everything about exercise? No, but here's what I know. I feel better. I look better. I lose more weight and I'm happier when I do it than when I don't. And it makes me hate myself less when I know that I'm doing what I need to do for my life. That's part of me liking me. That's part of me 
not loathing myself is do what I say I'm going to do for me. I'm learning to be the friend to me that I've always wanted and needed. Let's continue. 54. What a state of mental goose, goose flesh that used to bring on. Had we not variously worshipped people, sentimental things, money, and ourselves? Of course we have. And then with a better motive, had we not worshipfully beheld the sunset, the sea, or a flower? How many of us have not looked at a baby, a puppy, a kitten, a plant, the sky, a lake, a fish, and said, what a beautiful thing God has created. And yet, it is so difficult for us most of the time to believe that he will concern himself with our weight problem, with our codependency problem, with our living problem, with our fear of people, with our fear of tomorrow, with our fear of death, with our, which, with our fear of life. And yet, when called upon, and I don't just mean in prayer, when called upon by helping others, he is never absent from the job. And every single time I walk to God, he runs to me. And yet I'm reluctant to walk to him because I don't know everything I want to know. Like, what is the outcome of this going to be? I have to trust God. I have to be someone who trusts my God. And if I have a God I don't trust, I need a new God. It's not the worst thing in the world is to fire one God and hire another one. Let's continue. Who of us have not loved something or somebody? We've all loved something or somebody. How much did these feelings, these loves, these worships have to do with pure reason? Nothing. But what we find when we love something or somebody is we find a lesson in that sentence that nothing remains new and exciting for very long. Nothing. You buy a new car. It's exciting for the first three weeks, first month. Then that new car is the car. You move into a new house. It's exciting. This is my new house. And then eventually it's just the house. Nothing stays new and exciting forever. The way that we keep our relationship with God new and exciting, the way that we do it is to keep working on our spiritual life. And how do we do that? By working self-sacrifice for others. You want to find God? You want to keep God fresh? Look for God in the face of one of his children. Stop looking for God in things. Stop looking for God in the places that you may have looked for him before and start looking for God in the face of one of his children. That means get out of yourself and help someone else. Let's just for a moment, if we can, go back to a page and a paragraph that I've pointed out. Now, put a pin in page 54. 
But let's go back to a very, very important, one of the most important paragraphs in this book. And this is a pretty darn important book. It's at the bottom of page 14. And it's a paragraph that I've referred back to many times. I'm going to refer back to it again today. At the bottom of 14, my friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. That's the steps. Particularly, was it imperative? What does imperative mean? It means important beyond all else to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. It is certain that as a human being, you're going to have good days and bad days, good things, bad things. You know, it said nothing is good or bad. It's only the ego that makes itself. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. If he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed with us. It is just like that. So let's go back to page 54. What that paragraph in Bill's story, which is, by the way, pure Oxford group, pure Oxford, this is right out of the Oxford group. This is exactly what they're teaching. This is exactly their doctrine. Thank God it was, because we wouldn't have the program we have today without those Oxford group teachings, that you must go out and become somebody who helps other people. Altruism. Altruism is what we're talking about. Working with someone else with no expectation of a return. And when you do that, you will find what Bill Wilson experienced when he complained to his wife, Lois, that nobody was getting sober. And she turned to him in, in, in uh, April of 1935. He was complaining that he, nobody was getting sober. And she turned and changed the course of the world when she said, but you're staying sober. Oh, yeah, he said, that's right. Because for the first time in his entire life, his entire adult life, he was staying sober. And by working with other people, this is absolutely one of the things that differentiates us from the pay and way. It differentiates us from diet plans that we must be altruistic. Let's continue. <clears throat> How much did these feelings, these loves, these worships have to do with pure reason? Little or nothing we saw at last. Were not these things the tissue out of which our lives were constructed? Why am I here in Nashville? What am I doing here? I don't live in Nashville. I'm not opposed to country music, but I'm not particularly a country music fan. I don't listen to country music most of the time on the radio. If it comes up and I like it, I like Brad Paisley. I like some of the stuff by Elvis or Willie Nelson or whatever, or some of the ones like that. That's fine. But the reason that I'm here is the son of a dear friend is getting married today at 4 p.m. 
and I love my friend. And when I needed a friend, they were there. They were there for me and I for them. I would die for them and they for me. And I'm here to put a smile on my face. I can't really afford this trip. I'll let you in on a secret. I mean, I can afford it in the sense I have the money, but I could think of a lot of other things to, to spend money on than this, than coming to Nashville. But I love my friends and their son is getting married and damn it, I'm gonna be here for them. They were always there for me. I was always there for them and I'm not gonna break the chain and I would bet my life, neither are they. And one day when I'm very close to death, I will look back on this trip to Nashville and I won't remember a lot of it, but I'll remember why I came here. You may not remember much about your disease or your program or anything else, but when you can be of real service to another person, that is something that will make you hate yourself less. That is something that will put you closer to God and further away from a cheeseburger than you were yesterday. Let's continue. Did not these feelings, after all, determine the course of our existence? You bet. Worship money, you'll have one life. Worship food, you'll have yet another life. Worship sex, you'll have yet another life. What do I really worship? I can give all the lip service in the world to worshiping God. But if every day I spend more time trying to make money rather than worship God, then money is my God. If every day I spend more time trying to be with women, then that becomes my God. It's whatever I spend the most time and money pursuing. That is my God indeed. Is it what it, it was impossible to say we had no capacity for faith or love or worship? Every one of the people on this line has the capacity for faith, for love, and worship. Why? Because you've demonstrated it. You knew that that Almond Joy bar was going to make you feel better. And you did whatever you needed to do to pursue it. You knew that that money from that better job was going to buy you things that you wanted and you got that job. You knew that you wanted to not be alone. So you went out and maybe you got a spouse or a relationship. Now we're asking you to spend that much effort and just a little bit more in the pursuant in the pursuit of your God. That's what we're asking you to do. Is that so hard? I hope not. Is that so difficult? I hope not. In one form or another, we had been living by faith and little else. Why do we work? Why do we get up and go to work in the morning? Because we believe that this money will help us. Why do we do the things we do? Because we believe that they are in our best interest. Now what we're asking you to do is to pursue God and do it through one of his children, several, many of his children, not one, many of his children. Bottom of 54, imagine life without faith. 
were nothing left but pure reason, it wouldn't be life. But we believed in life. Of course we did. We could not prove life in the sense that you can prove a straight line is the shortest distance between two points. Yet, there it was. Now, let's stop right there for just a second. Is your program where you want it to be? If it's not, one of the things that could be blocking us is our fear of believing stronger than we've ever believed before. And how do I demonstrate that belief? By doing service. This disease is permanent, progressive, and fatal. Permanent, progressive, and fatal. I have a friend in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He says, permanent, progressive, and fatal. Permanent, progressive, and fatal. The disease is getting worse and worse and worse and worse, whether we're in recovery or not. And the one thing that you know are the people who believe and then take action are people who recover. And the people who do not, do not. Could we still say the whole thing was nothing but a mass of electrons? Created out of nothing, meaning nothing, ruling onto a destiny of nothingness? Of course we couldn't. The electrons themselves seem more intelligent than that, at least so the chemist said. An electron is the electric charge of an atom, and they revolve around the nucleus, and they whirl about at a fabulous speed, fantastic speed. And this is all going on without us being aware of it. It's a good metaphor. Because those electrons are whirling around the nucleus of the atom, whether we know it or not. We don't have to have an understanding. I am speaking to you today over the internet. How many of you understand completely how the internet works? I know I don't. I plug in my computer, I turn it on, I go, oh, uh, blah, 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 Facebook, oh, blah, 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 oh, there's uh, ESPN, there's whatever it is. I don't understand how the hell it works. I know it works. How does Zoom work? I don't know, but here I am, and here you are too. So I don't have to have this complete and total understanding of something and and. I can still believe in it. What about electricity? How many of you completely understand electricity? I know I don't. I don't. So I don't have to have this understanding in other areas. And yet I take the chip on my shoulder and say to God, hey, when I completely understand this, this, and this, then I'll believe in you. Are you kidding me? Seriously? There are people that are going to be in the in Los Angeles for the OA birthday. I hope you're one of them. And there's going to be my friend in Colorado. My beautiful, wonderful friend in Colorado. And on Thursday morning, Friday morning, and Saturday morning, and Sunday morning, 
they're going to go out to Santa Monica to the beach and do 11, do their 11th step. And they're going to come back and they're going to say, what a miracle. What a miracle. Now, a miracle is something that defies any scientific or logical explanation. There are people in the hotel at the LAX Hilton who are compulsive overeaters like me, and they're not eating compulsively, and they are happy in their release. And I offer to you today, that's the miracle. That's the miracle. That there are people afflicted with a fatal disease, and they are not practicing their disease, and it is only by the grace of God. And they're happy in their release. There are people that are dieters. They're not happy in their release. Dieting with group support. Are you kidding me? That's not a happy life. That's not a happy existence. That sucks. But when you've had that spiritual awakening and you maintain it through action after action after action, that's freedom. How free do you want to be today? How free do you want to be? Because if you want to be very free, there are going to be things that are going to be expected of you in terms of your action that we're going to have to do. Let's continue. Bottom of 54. Hence, we saw that reason isn't everything. Neither is reason as most of us use it, entirely dependable. Though it, though it emanate from our best minds, top of 55, what about people who prove that man could never fly? And yet I flew here and I'm going to fly back tomorrow to Scottsdale. And on Wednesday morning, I'm flying home to Chicago. We had been on top of 55, yet we have been seeing another kind of flight, a spiritual liberation from this world. People who rose above their problems, they say God made these things possible, and we only smiled. We had seen spiritual release, but like to tell ourselves it wasn't true. You know, I hear this a lot, and I've said it too. I have too many problems to recover. When God takes away my problems, I will do whatever he wants, but I want a girlfriend. I want some money. Uh, I want to be able to be the first baseman for the Cubs. I want to be the quarterback for the Bears. When I get all that stuff, then I will believe in God. And that's great, but that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. What I have to understand is that nobody is free of problems. There are challenges in this world, business challenges, romantic challenges, all sorts of parental challenges, all sorts of challenges. And we embrace them in our recovery because they challenge us to move closer to God and further away from a chunky bar. When those problems get turned over to God, and I'm not dwelling in poor me, I am less likely to pick up food. Nobody gets out of here unscathed 
And no matter how evolved your recovery gets, you will never rise above the level of a human being. And we are going to be challenged as humans because we're not always going to get what we want. And that's not going to, everything is not going to go our way. I don't care who tells me you lose all this weight and everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. I lost weight and things sucked. So I went off my diet. When I came into recovery, I still have challenges. I still have challenges and problems, but now I know where to go with them. And now I understand that no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I am never going to rise above the level of human being. There is a group that do, do not have problems. You know where they are? In the cemetery. That is a group with no problems. They don't have money problems. They don't have love, romantic problems. Their kids don't sass them back or ignore them. They don't have a problem or care in the world because they're dead. And as long as there is life surging through our bodies, as long as there is life in our brains, we are going to have issues that are going to come up. But I can't see the big picture. I can't see what's around the corner. God can. Don't stop five seconds, five minutes, five seconds before the miracles. Don't stop five seconds before the miracle. You don't know what's around the corner. Don't stop. 55, middle, uh, top of the page. Actually, we were fooling ourselves for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other, it is there. We have a fundamental idea that there is a God we have a fundamental idea that life existed before us and will go on after us. You don't have to be a genius to figure out that there was life on earth thousands of years before you were born and there will be life on earth thousands of years after you are gone and that you are not the center of the universe. You don't have to be a genius to figure that one out. But yet, it's there. The faith is there. The, we, it may be obscured, but we know it's there. For faith in a power, capitalized, greater than ourselves, and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup. Just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Tonight, I'm going to be seeing people that I have known for 68 years. But I haven't seen them for a while. And the minute I see them, I'm going to know that this is my friend. They may look a little fatter or a little balder, 
but I know that I love them and they love me. And even though we may not have seen each other for a while and we haven't talked in a while, we will embrace because we love each other. And that is a feeling that only comes from God. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. So the bottom line we have here in this paragraph is that we have this feeling for a friend or we have a feeling for our favorite TV show or our favorite movie or a favorite song. There's something that comes over us that we enjoy very much. We develop that feeling for God when we establish a relationship with him. And how do we establish a relationship with him? We pray, we meditate, we serve, we pray, we meditate, we serve. We tell ourselves not so much about what our needs and wants are, but we remember that what's going to happen on page 62 is he is the, he is the principal, we are his agents, he is the father, we are his children, he is the director. He is God and we are not. So let's try as best we can as human beings to come to some understanding that without this effort on our part, we are not going to recover. That we need to continue to make this effort at an established relationship with a power greater than ourselves or recovery is not going to happen. And sometimes we have to understand that things poo-poo is going to happen. And poo-poo happens to everyone. Stuff happens, guys. Stuff happens. But don't go quid pro quo with God. What's quid pro quo? You do this and I'll do that. You give me a lover. You give me a, give me a, a woman. I'll do that. Give me this. Give me money. Give me. It doesn't work like that. It never has. It never will. It's not going to work like that. It's just not going to work that way. Now, what we also want to do is remember to do our part. What is our part? To improve our spiritual life through how? Through work and self-sacrifice for others. Not in a sick way. What's the difference between sick service and well service? Sick service is I want a result. I want you to act a certain way toward me. I want you to treat me in a certain way. That's sick. Healthy services, I will give to you with no expectation of a return. No expectation of a return at all, whatsoever. That's healthy. When I sponsor, I expect nothing from you. Nothing. You don't want me to be your sponsor anymore? Fire me. I don't hold any hard feelings. I don't. It's not personal. Let's continue. We can only clear the ground a bit, clear the ground a bit. If our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, 
enables you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself, then if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway. With this attitude, you cannot fail. Let's take that promise. With what attitude you cannot fail if we can sweep away prejudice, enable you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself, then if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway. With this attitude, you cannot fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. Now, if that promise does not get your attention, I don't know what will. Because that's one of the most fantastic and beautiful promises in the book. That if you are willing to sweep aside prejudice, enable yourself to think honestly, encourage yourself to search diligently within yourself, you can join us on the broad highway with this attitude you cannot fail. Not only is this a promise, it's a guarantee. A guarantee of what? It's a guarantee of recovery. It's a guarantee of recovery. That's a beautiful guarantee. I've been looking for that my whole life. I couldn't find it at the paying way. I couldn't find it. Every time I went to a doctor, they would send me home with a pink diet. No matter where the doctor was, who the doctor was, the diets were in pink ink. Every diet they ever handed me was in pink. I'm not sure why. I think the doctors feel, and I don't know where they get this from, this is Narishkite to me, that it's only females that suffer from eating disorders. Well, I'm here to tell you that that is absolutely as false as a $3 bill. That is just not valid information. It's not valid information. Bottom of 55. In this book, you will read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. His story is so interesting that some of us should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Now, we're going to be talking for a little bit today and then next week about Fitz Mayo. Fitz Mayo was easily considerable as the co-founder of AA. He was one of the original guys. Fitz wanted a very religious book. His good friend, Jimmy Burwell, and his other guy, Hank Parkhurst, did not want a religious book. They wanted a book more psychological in nature. But because of the influence of Fitz Mayo, we have the kind of spiritual program that we have in front of us today. Fitz and Bill were dear friends. Bill did not get along with some people, like any of us, but he always got along with Fitz. And when the Wilsons, when Lois Wilson's diary was uncovered, there were many, many references to traveling between the Washington, D.C. area where the Mayos lived and New York to visit them on weekends and holidays. They lived with them for a while. Fitz, John Henry Fitzhugh Mayo 
And he was the second sobriety in New York. He was 12-step by a guy who was a very early member, Silas Bent. And he was a guy who was very, he believed in God very strongly. He was religious. He wasn't for a long time, but he became very religious after his conversion. And he managed to stay sober for a very long time. We're going to get a little bit more into his life next week. But he died in 1943 after eight years of sobriety. He had cancer. But the mark that he left on AA is felt today because Hank Parkhurst and Jimmy Burwell wanted a book that was more psychological in nature and Fitz Mayo wanted something more spiritual. So we feel his influence today. And we revel in the fact that he tilted the tide back to a more spiritual than psychological approach. I wonder how many of us would be in recovery today if we sat around psychoanalyzing ourselves and others. But because we have a program like we have, there are hundreds of millions of people worldwide that are recovering now and that will recover from all manner of addiction as the calendar turns from one millennium to the next. It is a very, very wonderful miracle of God that Fitz came into the program and we are grateful for him. As a matter of fact, what I'm gonna do, cause I noticed that there's only like a minute left. So we're gonna save Fitz until next week. And we're gonna stop right here. But before I turn this back over to Maria,